The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 181 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I've never disclosed any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So we got another great show for you this evening, folks. I'm really excited about it. We got cybersecurity consultant for F-Secure, Mr. Jason Johnson, going to be on with us tonight. So we're going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff for this episode. Jason performs security assessments, and I think that's where all the cool kids hang out. That's what everyone's always talking about on, on social media. And he writes and delivers these high-quality reports and scoping documents tailored specifically to their clients' needs. He supports client architecture and decision-making, and he also supports F-Secure staff development uh, training, training programs and performs all kinds of testing on web applications, mobile applications, network infrastructure, their cloud security, tech stacks, and so on and so forth. So Jason performs a lot of independent research into generally uh, into like machine learning models, I guess, and applications. And uh, I think we're going to hopefully talk about that with him this evening. So Jason, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks for having me aboard. I uh, suppose I should lead off with uh, something similar to say uh, the, exp- the opinions I might express on this uh, show are also mine and not necessarily those of my employer. All public information, nothing classified, nothing secret. And of course, I'm not a legal expert or financial expert, so I'm not giving advice on either of those topics in particular. What would we do <laughs> without the lawyers, Jason? I don't know. I don't know. What <laughs> That's we'd, a good question. We'd be lost. We'd be lost. Yeah. So, um, look, let's start talking about, I want to talk about artificial intelligence uh, today. You know, we mentioned that on the last couple episodes that we didn't really dive into it at all, but I want to sort of unpack it a little bit. I know this is the topic of discussion at the last couple RSA conferences, and it was just all about artificial intelligence and, and you know, how much to use in security, and, but let, let's unpack a little bit. What are some of the practical uses of AI in security right now? What's going on in the industry? Yeah, so uh, that's a, a really broad question, actually. And I think the sort of the key element, the key answer here uh, is that you want to be looking at AI as a, uh, a force multiplier uh, rather than as a replacement for human reasoning. Uh, so you want to use it for things like filtering tons of log data, filtering alerts in your SOC or something like that, 
spotting patterns um, and you know reducing the amount of data that you know, needs to be, you know needs to be aggregated or analyzed uh, by humans uh, because of course you get that constant problem of alert fatigue um, and just it's it's very easy for humans to you know get tired out and have a difficult time identifying necessarily what's most important. Um, so a lot of the best uses are going to be less that sort of you know cutting edge. We're going to put a box on our network and it's going to detect all the attackers and decide whether or not to boot them off or not. And it's more uh, we're going to put something on the network and it's going to help us decide what information is important, help us help us figure out what we need to look at. Um, and in a lot of cases, you're going to be wanting to look at sort of like, I guess, the boring but more interpretable algorithms, less than the you know, cutting edge sorts of things. So you're going to be looking at like clustering algorithms and that sort of thing. Um, so again, not sort of an automated decision something, decision making approach, but um, it's going to be more of a way of helping you analyze and make better decisions, um, but still using your human ability to you know, appreciate context, evaluate a wider situation, and bring that expertise that you've been working on for you know, your entire career. So what's the difference between robotics and, and, and machine learning and artificial intelligence? I mean, how does it differ? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so at least in my understanding of the whole situation is that when it comes to robotics, that's you know, specifically to do with uh, building machines that um, can move and uh, interact with an environment you know, physically. It's about figuring out how to coordinate that kind of movement. Um, whereas um, artificial intelligence in general is more about... Um, decision-making and processing data and uh, learning things. Uh, where, and machine learning in particular is the, uh, the sort of a, su a subset of AI uh, that involves specifically learning um, larger chunks of information from data. So less um, experts programming in rules and more looking at a bunch of data and seeing what rules fall out. Interesting. So, so what are what are some of the particularly good uses and good choices of artificial intelligence compared to putting machines in charge directly of what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some people get scared. I, mean, I see cars crashing lately and things like that. But you know, I mean, we don't want any cars crashing in the cybersecurity world. That could mean disaster. Exactly. Um, so not that the car crashing isn't disaster. Of course, it is. I just didn't mean it. You know, to come out like that, but obviously, it, you know, a, a, a cybersecurity-related disaster, you know, things could get ugly. Yeah, exactly. You don't want people to be able to automate car crashes. That'd be even worse, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and at the end of the day, my, sort of my view is that the good uses are specifically those ones that keep humans in the loop and actually allow them to uh, intervene and say, "Hey, this doesn't make any sense. This machine is clearly malfunctioning," or uh, help guide the machine in terms of actually figuring out um, how to behave in the environment. Um, because the problem is that as far as machines actually independently operating, the tech basically just isn't there. Um, the problem is that uh, most machine learning algorithms are not really great at context. Um, you put data in and you get results out, but you're just kind of hoping that those results are going to be appropriate for the uh, situation that's actually being presented. And that can be a real problem for security where the attackers are, you know, going to be learning from uh, what, the, what the machine learning algorithms weaknesses are. They're going to be adapting their behavior to go undetected and specifically exploit whatever gaps you happen to come, come across. 
Uh, whereas at least with humans, you have an opportunity to, uh, if, if you're a human operator, then you're going to be able to learn from what the attackers are doing. And you're going to be able to operate in a way that helps uh, counter the ways that they're changing their, uh, their behavior. And, so it's it, it, it's oh, interesting because I don't know if that's the way it's being represented by a lot of these vendors out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely fair. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's good to know the truth, actually, because I think you know, you know, we hear AI as a buzzword, and you know, they're they're saying that you know, artificial intelligence is injected into a lot of these tools, a lot of these cybersecurity tools that are being implemented in the market. And I'm and just not, you know, I'm, I mean, in in closed circles. There's, you know, a lot of talks and the conversations that I have with, with some tier one folks. They just don't believe that that's true at all. Yeah, yeah. My, my general expectation is that in a lot of cases, either it's going to be some small model doing something like what I said before, like a clustering algorithm, like trying to figure out which data points look like other data points more than, you know, this cutting edge deep learning stuff like that does like voice recognition um, or, you know, Art of, like navigation in a computer or something like that. Those algorithms aren't really going to be too useful in uh, uh, security, and you don't necessarily want to trust them because the uh, heuristics they use are totally different. Um, I'm getting I'm getting a little too technical here. Sorry, uh, but uh, no, feel free. I mean, I uh, think our audience is pretty technical, so yeah, yeah. We have you know we have a lot of cybersecurity professionals who listen to the show, so feel free. Yeah. You know, what are some of the major risks that you see coming out of the the uses of AI systems. I mean, when they're being used in an unsafe way, or I guess impractical way, you know, what are some of those risks off the cuff that people should be aware of? Yeah, sure. So I'll start out with uh, I think a few of the more uh, technical ones here, and then I'll move into sort of like the broader thing that sort of the theme that unifies unifies all of it. Um, but uh, in particular, there are a couple of it. There are actually several attacks that um, work against machine learning models and don't necessarily have good fixes depending on what the uh, the technology is. You just kind of have to accept that they're possible. Um, so for example, um, probably the, uh, the easiest one uh, for an attacker to exploit or for um, people, most people to carry out um, is something called data poisoning. Um, so if you are uh, training a network or if you're training a model of some kind rather, uh, you need to get uh, data from somewhere so you can actually teach it what it, its problem domain is going to look like. It needs to be able to draw its lessons from somewhere. And in a lot of cases, it's difficult to make sure that whatever you're sourcing that data from is actually trustworthy. It's pretty common to, you know, if you're training like a vision recognition system, you're going to go collect photos or videos off the internet or something like that. Uh, if you are training a language model, you're probably going to go collect text off the internet. Uh, if you are going to be doing some kind of network analysis kind of thing, uh, you're going to have to capture network data from somewhere, and you're probably going to want to capture it from a lot of different networks, so it's not just trained on you know, one specific thing, right? And the problem is if an attacker can control any of that data, then they can manipulate it to make the model misbehave. Uh, you know, garbage in, garbage out, but uh, it's possible to be very precise about how you're manipulating that data so that you can control a small amount of it. You don't have to control the entire thing. Um, or that maybe you want it to go relatively unnoticed, make your data look plausible, but still cause this misbehavior uh, in the final product. Uh, another one uh, that's a little more specific to some of the more cutting edge uh, techniques, uh, like deep learning, um, is like the really popular buzzwordy one, um, is something called adversarial perturbation, which is you know a fancy way of saying, 
making very small changes to data to cause the biggest possible impact on how the model behaves. And this turns out to be you know, actually pretty easy to carry out. Um, so if you know a little bit about the model, it's not too hard to figure out how you might want to change, say, in a computer vision model. If you want to tweak some pixels or something, um, you can make it so that the model will totally misbehave on an image, whereas a human won't be able to tell whatever the difference is. And the problem is that whatever this, the problem, there's two problems here. And one is that it makes it hard for human auditors to say, oh, uh, I, under I see what the problem is. And two, it also it suggests that whatever decision-making principles the, uh, the model is using to actually make its call aren't the ones that a human looks uh, relies on. Because if you say, modify an image of a panda so that it gets reclassified as a vacuum cleaner, uh, it still clearly looks like a panda to any human. So whatever that machine model is making its decision on is uh, not actually sensible by human standards and clearly failing in this case. Right. So I think there's a lot of risk that you're describing here, you know, since we started the show. And I think, you know, when you think about it, um, a lot of this stuff, if you want to mitigate these risks, it's going to cost more. It doesn't seem like it's very cost effective right now yeah. to, to implement this kind of technology into your security operations. How can organizations account for these risks in order to up, in order to operate safely and without driving up costs that are just not really viable or feasible? Yeah, sure. Um, man, I haven't even given, got, I haven't even run through all of the uh, the risks I had on land. But uh, for those ones in particular, um, a uh, a good answer is to uh, a be skeptical of what the machine is doing and what it's learning. Um, you, know, you want to actually test it out in the real world and give humans a, cha a chance to spot flaws and misbehaviors, uh, maybe before they actually get out into production uh, without, uh, without human oversight. Um, but there's also some techniques that you can use in your model that you, that you have to explicitly decide to use when you're building the darn thing, right? Uh, you actually have to, you can't uh, bolt these things on, but you can do something like, for instance, for the adversarial thing, uh, you can do something called uh, adversarial training. Um, which means that you take these uh, modified it, these modified inputs uh, that have been stealthily tweaked to a cosmos behavior, and you include them in the training process so that the model can learn not to rely on whatever has been changed in the uh, in that model. Uh, the problem is that's it's more expensive because you have to compute those examples and you have to continue doing that throughout the entire training process, and that's it can be expensive to do. And the other problem is, uh, if you've got reasonably complicated data, uh, then it doesn't actually provide a complete defense. It just makes it a little bit harder to carry out the attack. Uh, so it's not a perfect defense, even if you take the expensive route and even if you sit down and plan things out in advance. So what are got, some of the other risks oh, that you have there? I mean, we'll go ahead and, and oh yeah, yeah. finish up on how we're going to mitigate some of the things you already talked about. But I, you mentioned that there's even more risks. So I mean, I'm anxious to hear... Yeah. Uh, what else is there? Uh, so there's also a category uh, that's sort of uh, that I think of as either model inversion or model theft. Uh, so if you've got a if you've got a a secret model, something that you know you, the secret sauce for your product, um, then you need to, it. It can actually be very possible for an attacker to uh, clone your model just by being able to you know put data in and get answers out. Uh, and that can lead to some serious problems if your business model depends on that model staying secret. Uh, because if anybody can copy it, then you might not have a business anymore. And for model inversion, that's slightly different. If the data that you trained it on is secret, 
it's often possible for an attacker to reconstruct the training data just by having access to the model in the same way. Mm. Uh, so again, if you trained your model on secret data that you, uh, you know, might not have uh, permission to publish, uh, that was licensed for specific uses or something like that, uh, you could be in trouble if there was some sensitive data that gets leaked. Um, and then the final one that I usually really worry about um, is something called specification gaming. Um, which is a phenomenon where the machine learning model will actually work against you. There's actually a really long history going back to uh, going back decades of different machine learning models and using different algorithms in all sorts of different contexts, learning to cheat uh, and sort of hack whatever their uh, whatever their reward is supposed to be. So, for instance, there was a uh, a situ a model where they were trying where the researchers were trying to figure out an efficient way of uh, teaching a, a, a simulated robot how to run, and they would let it reconfigure its body shape in order to uh, cross the finish line and figure out and change how it moved. And what it did, what it did was it just made itself really tall so it crossed the fall, finish line by falling over. How uh, often are you seeing some of these risks that, you know, that turn into the vulnerabilities that people are actually exposing with these types of products? Is this commonplace? Ah, that's actually a really tough call because a lot of these problems, uh, they really only become, uh, they, they really only come up um, if somebody looks for them. Uh, so there have been a pretty, there have been a few really high profile examples of some of these. I think maybe the easiest one for like data poisoning, for example, um, was Microsoft's Tay chatbot back in 2016, uh, which um, was really impressive. It learned from people that it talked to on Twitter. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, people on the internet caught, caught wind of it and, you know, they uh, decided to teach it to be incredibly bigoted. And this quickly led to kind of, you know, public relations disaster. And uh, they've uh, had to, they, ha they wound up having to lock down access to Tay um, going forward. But um, we've also had examples of uh, insecurity of a... Uh, of a malware scanner that uh, used deep learning as part of its, uh, maybe not deep learning, some kind of machine learning algorithm as part of its uh, classification process for deciding you know, whether some binary was you know, good or bad. And uh, it turned out that you could uh, get by it just by taking some, uh, taking some uh, strings out of, a, uh, out of a legitimate video game and just you know, tacking them onto the end of your malware. And that just resulted in the... Uh, this, this uh, deep learning program saying, ah, yes, I recognize these strings from my data set. They were associated with something good. I will approve this thing, no, regardless of the fact that it's going to encrypt everything on this hard drive or whatever it was the malware did in that case. All right, Jason, we got to take a commercial break, but stick with us, folks. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about artificial intelligence in the next segment in just a few minutes. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, consultant for cybersecurity, or F-Secure, Mr. Jason Johnson. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice 
of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Cybersecurity consultant for S-Secure, Mr. Jason Johnson. So, Jason, you know, the last uh, segment we were talking about uh, some of the risk um, uh, that people would experience if they implemented uh, AI technology into their security operations. I just want to continue that conversation uh, in through this next segment. And can you talk about, you know, at least maybe start to wrap up what uh, some of those risks mean and what actually could happen uh, to uh, some companies, uh, if they were, you know, if the bad guys actually exposed some of these, you know, I could call them vulnerabilities, I guess, um, in their operations. Yeah, sure. Uh, so all of those um, 
things I was talking about before, especially the uh, sort of the adversarial perturbation thing and the specification gaming thing, those all sort of tie together to, uh, I think, a core problem here, which is that a lot of these models can sort of get the right answer uh, for the wrong reasons. Uh, they can uh, put together something that it's, they can put together some sort of rule set that you know works on their training data, works great on their validation data, whatever. Uh, but out in the real world is going to be completely nonsensical for situations uh, that might be unusual, um, out of the norm, and so on and so forth. Um, so you get a situation where a machine that can't evaluate um, context or apply ethics uh, is in a position of power, perhaps, uh, because it's that power has been delegated to it by somebody else. And uh, it doesn't get questioned because it's a machine. Uh, the system says that, uh, you know, I've got to do this thing. So that's it. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you um, if somebody's having a problem with it. Uh, and the problem is if you are, you know, if you aren't in that, uh, if your situation, if, you, if your cybersecurity situation, if your other situation outside security for even is uh, unusual, for whatever reason, if it's not, a, if it's not uh, in keeping with what the data, training data was focused on, uh, it can behave catastrophically badly for you. Uh, so this is really bad for, say, minorities, for example, and for your machine learning model is you know, doing uh, anything in the social re area, like approving loans or uh, doing prison sentencing or whatever. But in security, uh, it's also really bad for attackers who will learn to exploit those gaps in reasoning by the model. And you get a situation where, uh, to steal a phrase somebody else took, the, uh, the machine learning model is sort of a money laundering operation for responsibility that creates a lot of room for, uh, for somebody who's malicious to you know, actually hide behind the algorithm and take advantage of it. And it's not really helped by the industry having kind of a serious diversity problem, so we don't have a lot of people who are able to actually spot these and say something uh, and say that something's a serious problem, even if it means we have to stop, we have to delay shipping or something like that. Uh, and that's going to have a lot of uh, a lot of impacts on how things actually play out once these things get out. So you know, a lot of people are being you know, I guess I don't want to say spammed, but a lot of people in the industry get a lot of inquiries from a lot of vendors claiming to use artificial intelligence in their in their products and services. And what kind of questions should they be asking these folks when trying to understand why a company? uses AI in their product. Yeah, so um, this comes down to, again, context in a lot of cases, and there's no one, you know, no one size fits all answer for all of these. But the most general approach is, you know, to ask about the specific problem the AI solves. Uh, you want them, you want to know why they're using AI um, as opposed to something else. Uh, why is AI better for this situation? And you want an answer that's a little bit uh, more specific than just saying that, it intelligently does something that uh, something else or that some other technology already does. Uh, if they can give you, they can actually explain uh, what the AI is bringing to the table um, instead of just telling you that there is AI and that you should therefore be impressed. Um, you're usually in a good place. Uh, it also helps if they can discuss the you know the techniques they're using at a high level. Um, so you know what kinds of algorithms are they using? How are they getting their training data, et cetera? This sort of thing that hopefully isn't you know a trade secret for them, but hopefully they can talk about just to give some clarity to help you understand what the technology actually looks like under the hood. 
Um, and for these, you really care more that they have a coherent answer, something that makes sense, especially to somebody who's technical and understands um, what the uh, what those answers might mean. Um, then that will that's the uh, the core answer more than having a specific answer that actually tells you that tell, that you can help that tells you exactly. Uh, you know, there's no checklist. Is essentially what I'm saying there. So, you know, how do, how do companies know that are analyzing some of these products? What separates a value, valuable product from something which just, you know, people are using a lot of buzzwords to uh, sell it? Uh, so it, that'll come down a lot, I think, to uh, specifically that ability to explain what the machine learning model is actually doing for the product. Uh, it's going to be a matter of... Can you sit down and have a conversation at the end of it, walk away thinking, ah, yes, I know exactly, uh, I, I understand uh, what data is going into this model, and I understand uh, what it might have been trained to optimize, uh, what decisions it's going to be wind up, going to wind up making, and think, okay, it's not just, I, I, have, I can understand maybe when it's going to make mistakes would even be better. If, it's, uh, if you can understand what uh, gaps there might be, that also really helps because it does suggest that uh, it, you're not just being given marketing that tells you it's going to be perfect all the time and always make the right decision. So, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. How many, how many companies out there do you think are claiming to use artificial intelligence but either aren't using it the right way, you know, aren't explaining the risks or really aren't using it at all? Ah, that is a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of, uh, it's, it's a common joke among people I talk to that AI enabled threat detection is just a bunch of if-then statements with signatures attached, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I legitimately, I don't know that I could tell you uh, even a percentage of the market. Do you think uh, it's a lot? I mean, in I, your expert I think opinion, it's a lot. I, I think it's a lot, lot, right? Because I think in a lot of cases, it's, uh, the problems that we people want, you know, really want to bring these things into the, into their systems to solve are, uh, they're going to be cutting edge research. They're not going to be something where you can just go out there and, uh, read what somebody else has done and slap it into your, uh, into your code. You're going to have to do some, uh, serious, you have to put, you know, pour in some serious investments. Like look at what people, look at how much it costs to develop self-driving cars, for example. And we're still not all the way there. We still got cars that, you know, see a billboard that has the word stop on it and stop in the middle of a freeway because I think it's a stop sign. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I got to tell you, man, I, you know, just keeping it real. I hear a lot of guys using artificial intelligence as a buzzword in, in sales pitches that have no idea whatsoever what artificial intelligence really is. Um, so, but it's interesting, you know, when you get someone who's willing to challenge them right out of the gate, the conversation, you know, goes downhill pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you, you may want to get somebody who's technical from them, from their organization online, if you're that far in the conversation, but maybe, or maybe not. Yeah, they kind of um, a lot of I know a lot of folks in the in, in the industry just get right to the point right out of the gate. So you're probably right that that initial conversation probably needs to have the right people involved right from the get go. I mean, we talked a lot about some of these you know technical risk and maybe even some some of the technical attacks you mentioned against artificial intelligence. But are, and you gave a couple of examples. But how practical are are is this in the real world? I mean, you know, what are we talking about and in practice. How it's kind of look? a mixed bag here. Um, so I've talked about a couple of the more high, high profile examples with, uh, right. with uh, you know, that malware scanner with Tay and all that. Uh, but in terms of the, uh, 
in terms of actual prevalence in the wild, I actually, you don't actually see these a lot of the time. Uh, because, so it's not material? Is it a material risk, you think? Or? Well, I mean, it depends. Uh, I think these attacks are actually extremely practical, but attackers are very lazy. You know, they'll go for the easiest way to mm. uh, compromise the system uh, and achieve their goals. And all of these models are usually deployed in a, you know, a bigger context. They're a bigger system that always has traditional vulnerabilities that don't require you to learn some math, some statistics, that kind of thing. Uh, and so you can, you can just attack those and you can usually get around the system just as easily with a lot less hassle. Uh, but as those vulnerabilities get closed, as, AI, as, as actual AI systems become more popular, as they inevitably will, um, you're probably going to start seeing these things come up a lot more often. So adversarial examples, for example, uh, sorry, ex adversarial perturbation, that's something that can be... Uh, pretty easily automated and you don't really need to be an expert for. Uh, but it's also something where it's not often the case that you have enough control over the input and enough uh, expertise in what you're doing uh, to really, uh, really do that right now. But I think that'll change as time goes on. So are, are real threat actors in nation states and several organized crime groups using these attacks right now? Are these just sort of one-offs, the, the couple that, you know, the high-profile attacks that you mentioned? Or do we have some very organized groups, you know, thinking about this? Do we have intelligence on that? What's your you know, experience? Uh, well, I can almost guarantee that, uh, you know, those really organized groups are probably, have, probably have got people on this who are studying the techniques and making sure that they are up to date with uh, what the state of the art is and what they can do if they ever need to actually deploy some kinds of attacks against these systems. Uh, but uh, as things stand, I think that in a lot of cases, uh, their goals are typically not right now, goals that are uh, going to be satisfied necessarily uh, by targeting the, uh, the machine learning systems. But again, that's probably going to change as we see more AI supported uh, software get deployed in critical situations. So I think they're going to be ready. <laughs> right, right. So how are they actually using AI? You know, I mean, artificial intelligence, any kind of emerging technology is not only used by the good guys to you know, mitigate any risk, but they're also used by the bad guys to execute their attacks. So how are they using this kind of technology in their attacks? Yeah. Uh, so kind of the good news here is that all those limitations, all those complaints I had, you know, a little while ago, that applies just as much to uh, anything these attackers are going to be trying to use the technology for as well. Uh -huh. um, so you're not going to see a model that, you know, you're not going to see a, a, a hack bot out there that you can just uh, drop on somebody's network and it'll compromise everything and, you know, get your domain admin with no trouble. Uh, you've already got empire for that anyway, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've, uh, where you're going to actually see AI getting used is uh, once again in scaling up the existing uh, attack efforts that uh, really can't be automated right now. Uh, so the probably the the easiest example I can think of is generating photos and bio bios for um, for fake social media profiles. Uh, if you're trying to do a social engineering attack, it's really easy to go out there and you know go to this person does not exist. And uh, you know, just copy a photo out and upload it to uh, Facebook or whatever, and help you know help create your profile. Uh, and that is uh, hard to work against, you know, because you have to just sort of learn how to spot these photos and what problems the uh, the uh, 
the generator has. And I'll give you a tip, by the way. The eyes are always in exactly the same place in these generated photos. Uh, so mm. uh, eventually you can kind of get a feel, you can always sort of get a feel for uh, which photos have been uh, generated just by noticing that the eyes are in exactly the center of the photo. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I've never but, heard that before. You know, I mean, uh, you know, um, are they, are, do you think that they're inclined to use this type of technology or they're not interested in it right now? Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's, it's a limited use case. I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it is really basically useful only for those social media things, yeah. I think. So then it's really not, they're really not using in other types of attacks right now that you can see. Not too much. Um, I do know that it's also fairly helpful for bypassing, you know, captures. If you, uh, if you have this prove you're a human sort of thing, then in a lot of cases, uh, it can be possible. It's really, it's pretty straightforward to train with model uh, to bypass uh, whatever that is. Yeah, a lot more companies are using that lately, I've noticed. Yeah. It's popping up everywhere. And um, that is... That is actually one of the things that ca that Google does with their reCAPTCHA is at any given time, my understanding is the, uh, the, ch the problem that they're asking you to solve is something that's sort of cutting edge for, uh, for machine learning at the time so that they can, they can well, I speculate they might be harvesting that data for their own training purposes, but assuming they aren't, that's still also something that makes it difficult for some random attacker to train something up with using publicly available information as well. Right, right. All right, Jason, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, cybersecurity consultant for F-Secure, Mr. Jason Johnson. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, cybersecurity consultant for F-Secure, Mr. Jason Johnson. So, you know, Jason, and I'm hearing like in the industry when I have some talks with friends uh, over dinner or drinks or whatever, where we hear these horrific statistics about how artificial intelligence is going to, you know, replace 30% of the jobs in certain companies over a certain period of time. Um, and that everybody should just go learn how to work at water treatment plants or something. What, 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 what real threat does AI pose to, to job security in cybersecurity specifically? And then maybe we could talk about some of the other sectors as well. All right. Well, in cybersecurity, I, uh, my honest perception here is that there's not a huge risk of this. Um, just because uh, AI is such a poor fit for replacing human judgment in particular and how much of a huge role that plays in us being able to do our jobs uh, effectively um, because the uh, mo- most security roles in my experience have a huge element of understanding what's actually going on with the system and making judgments effectively from context. And that's impossible to automate even today and for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. Um, it may be the case that um, AI helps people operate so much more efficiently that fewer positions are needed to be filled. But in my opinion, again, uh, I also don't think that's a huge problem because there's already a talent shortage in cybersecurity. There's already more work to be done than can actually be done by the people who are available. So I'm not sure that there's a, uh, a huge risk here uh, to cybersecurity positions, either in the offensive security side where I tend to work or on the defensive side of security either. So do you think that's just because no matter what sector it is or, or what industry it is, the greater the risk, the less likely that there'll be some kind of a quick adoption to AI? Yeah, yeah, especially in areas that have high risk. Um, you run into a situation uh, where even, if, I think in my opinion, even if the tech is there, even if we somehow do get that kind of uh, really effective uh, machine learning tool, uh, you're going to wind up in a situation where organizations are in some cases not willing to accept the liability even of uh, you know putting a machine in charge and taking a human who might have been liable for gross negligence or something else that happens but if the same mistake gets made by a machine there's no one out there's no one to uh, sort of absorb that and that may be a sort of a factor that doesn't get talked about a lot um, within the industry even if the tech is somehow solved which again i don't think is necessarily going to happen so are there other industries that you think are more susceptible to losing jobs because of artificial intelligence, uh, maybe even in STEM or other, other industries? Yeah, definitely. Um, there are, unfortunately, uh, some industries that are going to be more susceptible to this. I think a big one is going to be um, 
any sort of driving delivery system, anything like that, that, you know, right now takes humans to drive a vehicle just because there's so much effort being put into making autonomous vehicles a reality right now. Uh, even though I think that's a very hard problem to solve, and I certainly wouldn't want to uh, put my career on the line trying to uh, solve it myself. Mm. <laughs> I think we are going to get there eventually. And when we do, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to, uh, to keep those jobs going just because of the investment that would be needed to do it and how much effort has already gone into you know, figuring out who's liable for what in that situation. Right. Um, I think there's another element called, um, in terms of psychology that'll help. Uh, just because um, in some in some service industries, again, even if you could automate them, people would still prefer to have to deal with an actual human, you know, behind the counter or whatever, who can you know hear their complaints, hear their questions, and respond appropriately more than just you know robotically fil- uh, performing a task. Yeah, I think co- when it comes to customer service, you know, some of this robotics can really drive people crazy. Oh yeah, exactly. There's nothing yeah. worse than you know talking to a uh, <laughs> you know ta- talking on the phone to an automated system that gives you you know 15 different options, none of which are the one you want, <laughs> and you <laughs> no. have to keep trying to navigate until you find the one that gives gets you to a person. I, it could be extremely frustrating, especially when you really need to talk to somebody to solve a problem. You know, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, it seems to always get worse when you when it's really important. Right. If anything, I, you know, this is maybe kind of a weird tangent, but uh, if anything, I think the biggest threat AI might pose outside of those uh, jobs that can, necess- that can be automated, that are a um, decent uh, fit for the technology, are probably gonna be something, it's probably going to be a sort of an indirect threat uh, from something like, from, say, deep fakes or something like that, where somebody might uh, you know, try to undermine you specifically by creating fake evidence of you do some- doing something inappropriate. Uh, that's honestly, I would honestly consider a worse threat just because of how unprepared society seems to be to actually handle that. Hmm. So how can people start learning about artificial intelligence and even start a career in the artificial intelligence space? Yeah, so uh, there's, there's good news and bad news here. Um, if hmm. you're looking to uh, get you know, into the technical side, the good news here is that uh, the academic field here is extremely open and transparent. Uh, there are tons of tutorials, tons of software libraries, tons of uh, research papers uh, that just get you know put out, uh, published constantly for everybody to see because it's a very competitive industry that you know is very focused on sharing information so everybody can get ahead as fast as possible, uh, which is uh, really 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 interesting because it, it it's actually more common in AI as far as I can tell to see papers on a sort of pre preprint uh, websites like something called archive that's a r x i v but um, this is a pre uh, preprint uh, website where you can publish things without them having to go through peer review but so you can get feedback on them in advance uh, from the entire field without necessarily having to go through the uh, the peer review process, and they do still go through peer review and eventually get published in journals. But the initial draft is open is up in public a lot faster, so that everybody can get information about this. Uh, the downside here is that if you uh, are looking to get this into a technical sense and you want to do a good job at it, you're going to need a little bit of introduction to you know programming. Uh, you're going to need to know a little bit of calculus and a little bit of statistics. Uh, you don't like necessarily need to get too deep into these, but if you want to understand what you're doing and make informed decisions, you do sort of need like the, the, the 101 uh, level of information from like a university course or something. And that, that's, uh, that can still be a pretty significant investment because that's still, you know, like three different, uh, three different university courses, um, which you can still get online uh, for free. So for instance, I actually got started learning through MIT's open courseware uh, platform. Uh, 
but uh, you do actually still need to invest that time. And that can be a difficult ask for somebody who already has a career, maybe has kids, et cetera, et cetera. And in particular, I've uh, heard extremely good things about a resource called Scikit-Learn, which is actually pretty useful for things that are uh, not machine learning, and since I, sorry, that are not deep learning specifically, but are still in the machine learning field. Um, and since I've been recommending sort of like interpretable algorithms that you can sort of understand and make good judgment calls about, uh, that can actually be a really good place to learn, even if it doesn't necessarily uh, focus on the sort of cutting edge, uh, really, uh, really fancy algorithms that are, you know, hard, impossible to explain, basically. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you, you, that you learned online, because I guess Elon Musk just came out recently and just said, you know, you don't really, I don't know if it was even recent, but I saw it on social media recently, I, I guess I should say that you don't really need to go to college to learn these things. You don't need to go to college to really learn anything. <laughs> you can, it's all free. You can learn for free. Learning is free now. And um, you go to college to have fun and, and prove that you can do chores and make friends. And basically that's what he said, which is also an important part of life, actually, you know, <laughs> making social contacts and having, you know, social graces and learning all that and going through those experiences. But it's interesting how he, you know, pointed out the fact that you could just learn anything uh, now, and you don't have to pay these exorbitant like college fees anymore. It really has people rethinking uh, how they're managing their careers and in cybersecurity as well. Absolutely, um, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with the point he's making. Um, you definitely get you definitely get a lot of value for uh, you know being able to talk to a professor and uh, get feedback on what you're doing and everything, which. You know, going back to what I said before, there's nothing more uh, more annoying than uh, you're getting stuck in a uh, an automated system that assumes that it knows what you need and doesn't quite. So you get a lot of value out of that. But um, if all you want is you know a uh, a walkthrough of the information, then yeah, you can get that online. The internet uh, has started to deliver on that promise of uh, you know having all the information in the world at your fingertips. Jason, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. We love us some F-Secure on this program. <laughs> we love F-Secure. And, and, you know, tell Andrew we said hello. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me aboard. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.